Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor until he finally got that she didn't know who God really was. And that's what he wanted. He wanted her to believe, God's a liar. Well, God says this, but no, you're not going to die. So he's moved her to the point of saying God's a liar. That's why our position here at the chapel says that when it says God is not willing that any should perish and that all should be saved, and that anyone who decides to believe can be saved, that it means that, and that God means that. And he's not lying. And he has not made in advance the ultimate decision as to who will believe and who will not believe. God says, whosoever will, and God does not decide whosoever will. Now, by the time the serpent is finished with Eve, I mean, Eve, what kind of name would Eve have called on? if she was calling on the name of the Lord. The God who said that if I happen to stumble and touch the fruit, I will die. I'm calling on you. The God who is keeping me back from knowledge, I'm calling on you. The God whose name is keeping my eyes closed and holding me down. The God whose name is liar, who said that I would die, but I'm not really going to die. See, that's why it's so important, this who the name of the Lord is. And so the other example is where Satan was leading to a misunderstanding of who God was, was in Exodus. The great time when Moses and Aaron stand before King Pharaoh in Exodus seven ten through 12. And it says, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, the Egyptian magicians, And they also did in like manner with their enchantment. They cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. And then it says, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. (laughs) That's a very confusing situation there. I mean, Moses and Aaron are the servants of God, and Aaron throws down his rod, it becomes a snake. That was impressive. And then the magicians, they're the servants of Satan, and they throw down their rods, and they became snakes. And that's impressive too. So to call on the name of God, as I'm calling on the name of the God who turned this rod into a snake, that's not specific enough. You have to call on the name of the God who caused his snake to eat up the other snakes, (laughs) or his rod to eat up the other rods. That's specific. It's very important to know exactly who God is. And that's why it's important when Isaac says he called on the name of the Lord. He's being specific about God. Because when we know who God is, that's our strength. In Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. See, now Isaac, he's got another trial that he's got to face. In verse 26, Abimelech shows up. And he's got with him his friend Ahuzah and his counselor, his advisor, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. So here comes these three men. And Isaac, when he thinks to himself, well, here comes trouble. I mean, what can he think? I mean, here comes the leader of the people who have been responsible for all my troubles. All my problems are because of this people, and here come the leaders. And so Isaac, when he addresses them in verse 27, he's very forthright with them. He challenges them. Why did you come to me? And he tells them, you know, he says, you hate me, and you sent me away. 
It's a nice greeting. <laughs> Where can this relationship go from here except up? <laughs> hmm. Now, it turns out that these men have seen something very, very definite. What it is, we're not told, but they say what they have come to realize and see. In verse 28, they said, We saw certainly, or in seeing we saw, that the Lord was with thee. And so they said that they saw certainly that God was with Isaac. What made the difference for these men? We don't know. We don't know what they saw that caused them to see that the Lord was with them. But it was who they saw that was with Isaac. They saw certainly the Lord is with Isaac. And we don't know. What did they see? I'll tell you. I don't know. (laughs) But whatever they saw, they knew certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. Because they saw certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. They wanted peace with him. Isaac, we can deal with being an enemy. The Lord, we can't deal with that. If the Lord's with Isaac, we've got to make peace with Isaac. So what happened here is described exactly in Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He makes even this Abimelech and this advisor and chief of his captain be at peace with him. See, Isaac's ways please the Lord. And the Lord made Isaac's enemies to be at peace with him. So that leads to the question, what were Isaac's ways that pleased the Lord? Because we would like our enemies to be at peace with us. That would be nice. Of course, we want to hurt our enemies, but God says, no, it'd be better to have that peace with you. But anyway, that's verse 25. He built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Isaac worshipped the Lord. That pleased God. That pleased the Lord. And therefore, the Lord said, oh, I'm so happy with what Isaac's doing here. He's building an altar. He's calling on my name. I'll tell you what, I'll make his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what happened. And we're going to see Jacob, a little bit later, we're going to see Jacob's brother Esau, his arch enemy who had set for it in the goal of his life, there's nothing I get accomplished in, in life, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. But when he goes to meet him, in Genesis 33, 4, it says, and Esau ran to meet him. What do you think Jacob was thinking? Oh, no. <laughs> but it says, he ran to meet him, he embraced him, he fell on his neck, he kissed him, and they wept. I'm sure Jacob was He had a lot of tears welled up in that one. He was ready to really let loose and cry it out. But he runs, he embraces, he gets on his neck, and he kisses, he besame mucho (laughs) on his neck. And what did Jacob do to have this happen? What did Jacob do to please the Lord so that the Lord made Esau to be at peace with Jacob? Well, what he did was in the previous chapter in Genesis 32, verse 26, Jacob said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I won't let you go, except thou bless me. See, Jacob, he clung to Jehovah Jesus. Now, what can we do? That's fine for Jacob. That's fine for Isaac. What can we do? What we can do is be like Mary, Mary of Martha, in Luke 10, 39, where it says, Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what she did. And the Lord said about Mary in Luke 10, 42, one thing, one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. And it will not be taken away from her. That's what he said. He said, she sits at my feet. She hears my word. That's the one thing that is needful, he says. She chose that. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Now, 
What we see in verses 28 through 31 is nothing short of just a remarkable forgiveness on Isaac's part. I mean, it's something when you sit down and eat with the person. You know, you pass the bread from one to the other, and you don't worry that they poisoned it as they came across to you. <laughs> so this is an example here, what Isaac's done, of Romans twelve eighteen. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I mean, Paul is saying, can you kind of like scratch as far as you can under the surface, you know, and see if you can find a little bit of milk of human kindness? You know, it kind of reminds me of finding these dinosaurs. You see a little bit of red in there, a little bit of soft tissue, you know, he says, you know, I know it's all hard and crusty and fossilized on the outside, but just, you know, you got a little bit, just capitalize on that. As much as possible, as much as lieth in you, if it be possible. And some people, Paul would say, it's not possible. There's nothing lying in there. But he says, just live peaceably with all men. Don't be a warrior. Take your war paint off. So Isaac had decided to live peaceably with these men, and he made peace with them, and he cooks them a big meal. And throughout the night, they get up and they exchange promises to be at peace with each other. And the last words of verse 31 are a real victory over the spirit of vengeance, over anger, over bitterness, when it says in verse 31, they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another, and Isaac sent them away in peace, and they departed from him in peace. We don't know that they ever saw each other again. We don't know, but that that was the last encounter between these men this side of eternity. And we hope that they came to be saved. But one thing that Isaac can say is that I made peace with them. I made peace with them. I did what I could. I made peace with them. I invited them to come to Jehovah Jesus. Their blood is not on my hands. But what would it have been like if he had sent them away in anger and vengeance and said, you know, you hate me, get out of here? How would he have felt? Oh, yeah, did you know that Abimelech died? I was their last witness? Oh, oh, if I could just go back. I wish I could have made peace with him. I wish I would have cooked him a big meal. This was a victory. They left in peace. Now, when they left in peace... God's also, you know, how did Bush say it? God's not neutral in these matters. <laughs> He's not sitting back and saying, I don't care. No, God's watching that. And when they left in peace, then God says, amen. <laughs> you know? And so in verse 32, it says, It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged, and they said, we found water. See, God caused Isaac's servants to find water. That was just like God saying to Isaac, Isaac, those men that came to you, they're still lost souls. They need to be saved. And I'm happy you forgot about the wells that they destroyed. I'm happy you forgot about the wells that they stole. And I'm happy you made peace with them because their souls are more important than water. And oh, water, here's a gift. Here's a well for you. See, you made peace with them, Isaac. That made me happy. So those last four words there are very important. In that verse there, he sent them away in peace, and we're in peace. And then the next verse, in verse 32, those last four words also are important. We have found water. The Hebrew word there for found is the word matzah. Don't confuse it with matzah. It's a different word. It's matzah. Now, Genesis, we find this word here. It's like in Genesis 26, 32, verse 32, we're on. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came. They told them concerning the well which they had digged, and they said, we have found water. We have matzah watered. We have found where the word matzah is very important word for our chapter because the root meaning is very very important. This is the third time that this word is used in this chapter. It appears in verse twelve 
where it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and received matzah. In the same year, a hundredfold, the Lord blessed him. See, Isaac put out his seed, and Isaac matzah. He found these hundredfold, and the word then it says received, that they chose. And then the second time matzah appears is in our chapters in verse 19. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found matzah. There a well of springing water. And then the third time is here in our verse, in verse 32. We have found matzah, water. It's the root meaning of matzah that's so important. It's so interesting. And you see this in Leviticus 9, where it appears three times in Leviticus 9. And this is a passage that's all about Aaron's sons killing the sacrifice, collecting the blood, and then bringing to Aaron the collected blood and the dead animal. And it says in Leviticus 9, 12 through 13, And he slew the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented matzah unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about upon the altar. And they presented matzah, the burnt offering unto him, with the pieces thereof, and the head, and he burned it upon the altar. And then in Leviticus 9, 18, a few verses down from that, verse 18, he slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented matzah, unto him the blood which he sprinkled round about the altar round about. So we've got the picture in our mind here. We can see at these scenes, we can see here's Aaron's sons. They're killing the sacrifices. They're collecting the blood. They're doing their work over here with the sacrifices of the blood. And then we see they're coming to their father and they're presenting. Here you go, Pop. No, he didn't call him Pop. Here you go, Father, <laughs> Dad, Abba. It's a, okay, here you go, Dad. Here's the blood. And, you know, Father, I present to you the blood. Matzah. Father, I present to you the animal, matzah. Father, I present to you the blood and the animal, matzah. See, the meaning behind this word matzah is present or bring forth. That's the meaning behind the word matzah. God had the increase of the harvest right in his pocket. And so when Isaac sows in the land, God reaches his pocket and says, here you go, I present to you this hundredfold increase, and I bring it forth to you. See, God has the water under the ground, and Isaac's servants dig for a well, and God says, Matzah, here you go, I present this water to you. As a matter of fact, this meaning of bringing forth is captured for this word Matzah and how it's translated in Leviticus 12, 8, when it says, And she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring Matzah. Two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, the priest shall make an atonement for her, she shall be clean. See, here we see a woman... And she can't afford the lamb, so what does she do? She matzah. She brings her offering. She's either got two turtles or two young pigeons. That's why the word matzah is used in the context of finding a wife. It says in Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Whoso matzah, a wife, eh? matzah, a good thing, obtains favor of the Lord. See, the Hebrew word for obtain there is the word puk, which means dropping down in front of you, dropping out. The idea is that you're walking along and a beautiful piece of fruit just drops, it pukes, that doesn't sound good, in front of you. (laughs) And that's the word matzah. And it's presenting, God is presenting, I'm bringing forth a wife, she's a good thing. So the beauty of this word matzah at the end of verse 32 here is that from man's perspective, he sees the water, he cries out, we found water. But reality comes from the word matzah, which means it's from heaven's perspective, I present to you water. See, the use of the word matzah at the end of verse 32 means man says, we have found water. God says, I present to you water. See, the more we embrace this concept of matzah, the more anxiety and stress about what's going to happen to me from the future, it goes away. Why? Because our God is a God of matzah. 
Our God loves to matzah. He loves to present. He loves to give. Our God loves to matzah, to present to us. He likes to bring forth to us. When Isaac's servants in verse 32, who came to Isaac and they cried, we found water. Andrew cries to Peter, we found him. In John 141, he first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, we found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. See, like Isaac's servants in verse 32, who came to Isaac and cried, we found water. Philip cries to Nathanael, we found him. In John 145, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But Isaac's servants could only cry, we have found water, because God was the one who Matsada presented the water to them. And Andrew and Peter could only cry, we have found him, because God had Matsad or presented him to them. See, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a Matsad verse. That verse is built on matzah. See, for God so loved the world that he gave, and the idea is matzah there. He presented his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, the idea of matzah is behind when God spoke from heaven about his son in Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matzah, I matzah, I present to you my son in whom I am well pleased. And Luke 9.35, there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. See, this is where God said, I matzah, I present my beloved son to you, hear him. Now, we come now and we read in verse 34, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bashemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, you look at verse 26 there, and you tell me, how old was Isaac when Esau was born? He was 60, say santa, <laughs> not 40. <laughs> Say Santa. Okay. He was 60 years old. So if Isaac is 60 years old and Esau is born, how old is Isaac when Esau gets married? He says 100. He's 100 years old. He's 100 years old. Muriel, where are you? You are seven years his younger. <laughs> this poor boy is 100 years old. And so you look at verse 35, and can you say that this was a happy time or not a happy time for Isaac? It was terrible. It was a grief. It was a grief of mine. Those words, grief of mine, in the Hebrew, it's made up of two words. Mara, which means bitterness. Think of sucking on a lemon. And then ruach, the most inner part of our being, the spirit. And so Esau's marriage was just a bitterness that penetrated right down to the innermost part of Isaac and Rebekah. I mean, he really crossed the line, this Esau did, in marrying these two women. It was a grief of mine. It means that Isaac and Rebekah tried to forget about it. And they tried to forget that Esau had married those two women. Every time they remembered it, it was like sucking on a lemon. And the experience was so bitter to them, they just said, look, can you just not come here with your wives? And it's too much, it's too, too grievous to us. Don't come. Oh, this happens to poor Isaac. He's 100 years old. <laughs> He'd think that maybe at 100 years old, he could just kick back and relax a little bit. <laughs> Golden years of retirement. You know, it'd be nice to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease right about now. That might be nice, but that wasn't the case. And it's not going to be the case in our lives either. And Isaac needed to be on his guard and ready for trouble right till his last breath on earth. And we need to be on our guard and ready for trouble right till the last breath on earth. So when we read about Esau's decision to marry these two women and being a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah, we say, why? Why was it so bad? I mean, you know, he's got to get married. You know, he's 40 years old. Wish my son could get married. He's 40 years old. Anyway... Why was it a grief? 
Why was it a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah to marry these two women? Three reasons. First, Esau's decision to marry these two women were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah because he chose to marry these two women without any input, without any advice from his parents. That's in keeping with his self-will. I want, and I want it now. That's his attitude. And he says, Genesis 25, 32, Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point of die. What profit shall this birthright be to me? In that scene, we see Esau living only for the moment. He was hungry for the moment. The only thing that mattered to him was satisfying his hunger. No matter what the cost or consequences, he lived for the moment. He gave no thought to the consequence. He was a man of his passions. He felt hunger. He wanted to satisfy those hunger. If he felt sexual desire, all that mattered to him was satisfying his sexual desire. No thought of the consequences. If he felt passionate, he took his date to the back seat of his car. And from the names of the women that he married, we can see Esau's marriages were all about lust. I mean, one of his wives named Judith, it means celebration, celebrated. She's a party-loving gal. And the other one of his wives was named Bashemeth, which means fragrance or spicy. She's one spicy lady. See, the first reason it's a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebecca is because Esau didn't ask them. He suddenly marries these two women on an impulse. I still remember the time. We had company over one night, and we're all sitting at dinner table, and David, who was not married, and he announces to everyone, he says, I won't marry anybody until my parents approve of it. I remember taking a double take on that one. I thought, it's not exactly the way I did it. But I remember feeling, well, that's a lot of responsibility on me. So Esau knew how important it was for his family that no wife should be taken from the Canaanites. Esau knew that, but he didn't care. Esau knew how important it was for Abraham that Isaac not marry one of the Canaanites and how Abraham went to those great lengths uh, to get his mother, Rebekah, from a long distance. She was a long distance bride. And bring her back so that he would not be joined to a Canaanite. But Esau didn't care. I mean, that pretty much describes Esau. He was an I-don't-care person. And whatever he wants in life, I don't care whatever people think about it. I want it. I'm taking it. First reason. Second reason Esau's marriages were a grief to his parents was that he had such a beautiful example in front of him. In the Bible, you see trouble in the home where there's polygamy. Polygamy was never God's way. God brought, one, one, God brought to Adam one wife. He didn't say, well, here's an array for you. In Genesis 2.24, he didn't say, therefore shall a man leave his father's mother and shall cleave unto his wives, and somehow they're all going to be one flesh. What we see Esau doing is he rejects that course of his family of one wife. He breaks out of that and gets two wives. That's the second reason it's a grief of mine to his parents. The third reason, most important of all, it's a grief, is because who these people were. Judith, verse 20:34. Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, Bashemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. He married two Hittites. This was horrifying, mortifying for his parents. He marries two Canaanite women. The Hittites are Canaanites. The Philistines are Canaanites. The Sodomites and the Gomorrahites, they're Canaanites. He marries into the people that hate his family and his father. The homosexual people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He marries into these people. Marries into the Canaanites. He's making a statement. I'd rather become one of the Philistines than to be one of the people of God's covenant. That's a statement he's making here. When Esau married these Canaanite people, he was continuing on his course of despising his birthright. His marriage to the Canaanite people was a spiritual decision for him. I make the spiritual decision to go away from Elohim and to go anywhere. I'll go to the gods of the Canaanites. Yeah, I don't want them. Even though Esau was flesh and blood of Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah lost their son Esau, and he'd never come back again. Esau was gone forever. 
when he died, he continued on that course away from God into a hell of darkness, of loneliness, of pain, of suffering, while Isaac and Rebekah continue on their course to God into a world of light and friendship and joy and happiness. And all these thoughts are a grief of mine. They're too much. They're too much for Isaac and Rebekah. These are the three reasons why Esau's marriages were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. Well, believe it or not, we finished chapter 26. I told you, I don't like to progress. Because <laughs> at the end of this book, I figure I'm going to die, so we're going to go very slow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a matzah God to us. Lord, you give, you give, you give, you give, you keep giving. And all we do, Lord, is just with your stripes we're healed. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would continue to, Lord, set up within our hearts and our minds this uh, fire of your thoughts, sweet words, sweet thoughts from your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247 3051 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.